Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II died yesterday peacefully at Balmoral, aged 96. Her death was announced yesterday evening, Thursday the 8th of September. There's now a period of national mourning and her funeral is expected to take place on Monday the 19th of September. And as beautifully written and spoken tributes flood the airwaves from the UK, the Commonwealth and far beyond, those in horse racing are reflecting on Her Majesty's deep love of all animals, but most of all, the thoroughbred and her ceaseless devotion to trying to breed the best racehorse. And we have time to reflect and consider the Queen's impact, her legacy, and to wonder why it was in this arena that she seemed most at home and most content. And time to pause has been afforded the sport by the British Horse Racing Authority, which has taken the decision to suspend all racing in Britain until this Sunday, the 11th of September. In a statement released earlier this morning, Julie Harrington, the BHA's chief executive, said, Her Majesty the Queen's affinity and bond with British racing was enduring and unique, and a number of our sports participants have a close, direct relationship with her. It's out of respect for this and in sympathy with her family, including King Charles III, that the sport has taken the decision to continue our suspension of fixtures into Saturday. The return of racing on Sunday will see the running of the Kazoo St Ledger, one of Britain's five classic races and a race which the Queen won with her filly Dunfermline in 1977. This will also provide an opportunity for the sport and its supporters to pay its respect to Her Majesty for the contribution which she's made to the sport to be marked and for racing to express its deep gratitude to her and sympathies to her family. I'm broadcasting today from Tennessee, just south of the Kentucky border, ahead of a race meet at Kentucky Downs tomorrow. Among many in the crowd will be people who knew and loved Queen Elizabeth very dearly, as she was as popular in Kentucky in the cradle of the thoroughbred as she was anywhere in the world. Lee Mottishead is the senior writer from the Racing Post. Lee is coming to you from London, having penned the tribute to Her Majesty for the Racing Post, the Trade Daily, and he's on his way to the Royal Racecourse, Ascot, to conduct interviews with broadcasters during the course of the afternoon. Lee, everywhere in, in the world, reverberations are felt. In our, in our very small world, they are, they are felt extraordinarily powerfully. Just, just tell us why. I think, Nick, there is, there's clearly no doubt that the Queen was the, the most famous, the most celebrated individual on planet Earth. You only have to look at the, the global news coverage of her death. It's not just a British story. It's across the front page of the New York Times. It's everywhere. And that person was not only the Queen, she was the figurehead of horse racing. She was the individual who um, represented horse racing to people all around the world. When you saw shots of the Queen in news broadcasts, they would often show shots of her on a race course, cheering home a winner with a horse. She was the sports patron, as I say, the sports figurehead, and we have lost that person. And it is the most obviously momentous loss for the Queen's family. It is the most momentous loss for this country and for the Commonwealth and for the world. But it is also a, a singular loss as well for the sport of horse racing. What, what do you think really informed Her Majesty's love of, of horse racing? 
Well, for for a a lady who was not just uh, obsessed with racing horses, but with breeding horses, it was a love that was bred into her. Um, Her whole family has been heavily involved in the sport of horse racing. Um, There is a a, a great story, well, two two great stories that I was reading again yesterday. One was that um, her father, King George VI, who was champion owner in 1942, one of his horses, uh, one of his great horses was a horse called Big Game. And at the age of 16, the Queen visited the, the Beckhampton stables of the King's trainer, Fred Darling, with her parents to watch some of the horses in work, including Big Game. And she felt so honoured to run her hand over big game that day that she reportedly didn't wash that hand for several hours afterwards her entire her entire childhood was spent in the company of horses riding horses watching horses and even on the on the on the morning of her coronation june the 2nd 1953 there's another fabulous story that uh, at that point the queen had a horse called oriel who was very heavily fancied in the derby and the coronation took place just a few days before the derby. And on coronation morning, one of the Queen's ladies-in-waiting, thinking of that imminent ceremony that was to come later on in the day, asked if all was well with the Queen. And the Queen replied that her trainer, Cecil Boyd Rochford, had just run to report that Oriel had gone well in his last work before the derby. Now, I think that shows how much racing was constantly on the mind of the Queen. She's a person who had the racing post delivered to her, Nick, every morning, no matter where she was. It wasn't a, it wasn't a fake, a false association. It absolutely ran through her veins. It was a, her primary passion, and it brought the most enormous joy to her, but it also brought the most enormous joy to the sport of horse racing. In, in recent years, that, that interest seemed to, to intensify, not as though she ever... Um, really step back from the from the public gaze in any meaningful sense but perhaps as the, those global trips started to, to to reduce that little bit it seemed as though there was a little more time afforded for for that that private private love that private passion i think that's right nick and that intensity of the of the love and the passion and the interest also coincided with a growth in her majesty's success on on race courses um, it's it's poignant in many ways that the, her most successful uh, year in, in in British horse racing in the modern era since since uh, comprehensive records of the Queen's uh, achievements in horse racing began in 1988 on a on a day by day race by race horse by horse basis. Last year was her most successful. Her colours were carried to victory in 36 races. She was in the top 20 of the sport's leading owners. Now we're, we're not talking about. The, the, the success she had in the 1950s when she was twice champion owner or in the 1970s when, of course, two outstanding fillies, Highclere and Dunfermline, each achieved two classic triumphs for Her Majesty. But she was still an extremely successful owner. It's only a decade since Carlton House almost gave her victory in the Derby. We spent much of last year wondering if Reach for the Moon might well be the first and belated derby winner for the Queen. Sadly, that didn't happen. But again, this year, the Queen has had considerable success. Kings Lynn won a Group 2 race for her at Haydock 
in in May. And yesterday, Nick, the Queen almost had a winner with her final runner. We were told that the, the Prime Minister, Liz Truss, was told of the Queen's death at, at 4.30 yesterday afternoon. Five minutes after that, a horse called Improvise became the last runner in the name of the Queen at Epsom and was caught in the final stride of her race. So right through her reign and even just beyond her death, the Queen was heavily involved in the sport of horse racing. Well, one rider who enjoyed a lot of success in the Royal Silks uh, was Frankie Dottori, and he joins me now. Uh, Frankie, just share with me your thoughts this morning. You must be reflecting on some some very special moments, but with a with a degree of sadness. Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, I know she was a great old age of ninety six, but she always had the feel of immortality. You know, you never think this this thing was, was going to happen. So very sad uh, I'm, I'm here in England and uh, you can feel the hole that she left behind people uh, walking around in silence uh, basically the country has stopped mourning uh, this wonderful person and uh, and I'm, I'm one of those you know I felt you know really um, quite empty I'll be honest with you um, you know remembering you know I I, 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 I met her 30 years ago this last 30 years I rode for her I met her in, in different occasions uh, at the races uh, Buckingham Palace Windsor Castle and uh, events when she came to Newmarket to see her horses uh, so you know obviously her, uh, felt always grateful to meet her and always um, um, very pleasant person to talk to and you know he always he gives you that well-being factor every time you saw her and uh, yeah unfortunately uh, we're not gonna have that anymore and uh, you know so he I'm like everybody else feel feel a bit empty inside. So you, she made you feel good when you came out to, to to ride for her. Just just tell me what it was like when you put those silks on in the weighing room. You know when you when you when you first put those royal silks on. I was talking about it to someone that you know when you, when 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 her colours were hanging in your peg where, where where you sat in the jockey's room, you get this great feeling of uh, pride. Um, excitement, uh, yeah. It was like a, you know, it was like you know wearing something different, and uh, you know, carries a lot of history. And so that was the first bit. And then you know, if you were lucky enough to to see her in the paddock when you rode for her, you know, you, first of all, you had that sense of being nervous, but also very exciting. Because you, you, you know, she's a wonderful person, but you never really knew how to conduct yourself. Did you bow or did you shake your hand? And did you talk to her? You don't talk. I mean, it was, it was, but she always made you feel very welcome. You know, she was always the first one to to break the ice or talk to you or ask you questions. And yeah, and uh, but you always had that feeling. You know, I bet you know until the last time I met her, you always had this kind of. You know, 
nervousness by exciting kind of experience. So uh, she she was an amazing person and uh, and she done so much for racing and loved racing. That was her first love. So I was very lucky to to be part of it. And those involved in in the sport and uh, those of us who are observers on a, on a daily basis, I always felt Lee that we were in a very privileged position that we got to see as much of the private queen as you were ever likely to see if you if you didn't have the good fortune to know her or meet her. I think that's absolutely right, Nick, because I think those of us who saw the queen on race courses, either in the flesh or on, on television, saw the queen at her most natural. Nobody will ever forget those television pictures of the queen watching her mayor estimate winning the, the 2013 Girl Cup at Royal Ascot in the box with John Warren. And she looked simply like uh, an excited racehorse owner because at that point, that point, that's exactly what she was. She was stripped bare to being a racing fan, a racing owner who was caught up in the occasion. And you saw just walking around a race course, Nick, and she was incredibly natural. She just looked like another owner. And in some ways, she was treated as another owner. You didn't see huge security uh, presence around her. She just walked around the paddock as normal. In fact, there's a there's a great story that I, I use in a piece today by uh, from the Duke of Devonshire, who, as uh, Lord Hartington, was the Queen's official representative at Ascot Racecourse for a period from 1997. And he told me the story of, of how, if one remembers the old Ascot, where you had that beautiful tree-lined paddock uh, down where the royal enclosure is now, beyond the old, old grandstand. And he explained that to walk from the grandstand to the paddock, Ascot had um, two sets of white lines that would mark where the Queen would walk. And racegoers would, would know when the Queen was approaching, they would stand either side of, of the line. But increasingly, as, as technology came in and people started using phones, people uh, got, seemingly got closer to the Queen and the Duke of Devonshire became increasingly worried for the Queen's security. And therefore, he decided to have ropes placed either side of these two white lines. And then when the Queen was about to make her journey from the grandstand to the paddock, greencoats, and everyone who's been to ask it will know who the greencoats are, they would pick up the rope and they would form a barrier uh, either side of the, the, those white lines for the Queen to walk down. On the first occasion when that happened, the Duke of Devonshire said that when we got back to the Royal Box after the first time of doing this, she asked me, what were those ropes? I explained I'd become nervous because of people getting increasingly close. And he said, very politely, the Queen said, please get rid of those ropes. She didn't want that barrier between her people and herself. And I think that says so much about her. Uh, she was inextricably linked to the sport and the the impact she had on the sport as well Nick can't be overlooked it's not just in the sense that for the general public they associated the queen with horse racing and therefore she was a great adver advertisement for horse racing commercially as well Nick we can't we can't overestimate how significant a part she had with the with the sport you look at the the massive Middle Eastern influence we have now on on horse racing, and much of that will have come because of 
the Queen's presence as that figurehead for British horse racing. They wanted to be involved in the sport partly because of her connection to it. Sponsorships such as Kipco, there's a great probability that that would not have taken place. That huge, the biggest investment, biggest sponsorship investment in British racing ever, that probably wouldn't have happened without the Queen. And therefore, inevitably, people wonder what comes next. Although for now, we concentrate on all those many decades that came before. Well, Nick Smith is the Director of Racing and Public Affairs at Ascot Racecourse. Nick, just share with me um, the thoughts of, of everybody at Ascot this morning. Well, of course, our thoughts are very much with His Majesty the King and the Queen Consorts and, and the Royal Family. It's a very sad time for everybody and, uh, and uh, we're thinking of them at this time. And the Queen's impact on Ascot Racecourse people will know has been significant but perhaps nobody realizes just how significant just try and talk to me about it from from your perspective from the racecourse's perspective yes well i mean ascot is the royal racecourse and we've been incredibly fortunate over such a long period of time for the queen to be our figureheads if you like um she's been such an enthusiastic participant um in in the in the racecourse's affairs um she obviously loves her days at the races but there are all sorts of things behind the scenes. She came, for example, in um, 2006 on a, on a cold morning uh, to see the Royal Procession um, practice uh, before we reopened the new grandstand, for example. Um, that was, a, that was a, a strange but wonderful day and all the staff were there to see her and she was in the parade ring as the horses came in and observing them and making sure that she was happy that, they, um, that, that, that the new walkways were suitable um, and unfortunately they, they were. She's been involved in, in a lot of the, 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 the racing aspect. She's fascinated by the race programme um, any changes to the programme that are being suggested, we always discuss and run run through her, through Her Majesty's representative, Francis Brooke, uh, such as the Commonwealth Cup. You know, she was very, very interested in the Sprinters' review and that we would be at the centre of that. Um, and, of course, particularly delighted that um, uh, the, the, to, to accept the recommendation to, to name that the, the Commonwealth Cup, uh, the Commonwealth always being so important to her. In terms of your your favourite memories of of her days as an owner at Ascot, clearly estimate is is right up there. Uh, try and describe to me the significance of that day to the racecourse and 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 what it did for the for the racecourse to the to the wider world. I mean, that probably was uh, the, the highest profile race day that we we've ever staged. I mean, it, all, it almost definitely was. Um, it was wonderful the year before, don't forget, when she won uh, the Queen's Vars with the same horse estimates um, and her husband, the Duke of Edinburgh, presented the trophy to her. That was lovely. But uh, it went to a new level when she won the Gold Cup. And, and I think the pictures that we saw on television uh, that day of her celebrating were so unique um, and, and encapsulated everything about her love for, for the sport. And for her to win a race in the profile of the Gold Cup was obviously hugely important to her. And we, we know um, how... How, how interested and supportive she was in this, in this particularly in the in the staying division. Um, there were pictures on the front of newspapers in America, Australia, the Middle East, pretty much everywhere. I mean, I got I got an unbelievable amount of texts and and notes from people around the world saying, "Have a look at the picture the picture on the front of X newspaper," which was which was brilliant for the sport and and um, and, a, and a wonderful day. But another day which we have to reflect on where something completely unique happened was in 2012 um, when Black Caviar won what was then the Diamond Jubilee Stakes. 
before it became the Platinum Jubilee Stakes this year. Um, and Her Majesty came down from the Royal Box and, and met Peter Moody uh, and the owners, Neil Werrett and the owners, in the winner's circle. And she went up and patted the, the nose of, um, of of black caviar and, and started chatting to the owners there. And that was completely unprecedented as far as I, I, I can remember, certainly certainly at Royal Ascot. And, uh, uh, and there's a wonderful picture of the Herald, from the Herald Sun of, of, that, of that particular moment. And uh, there are all sorts of little moments like that, little, little um, gems um, in, the, in the long history of, of the Queen's um, uh, 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 visits to, to the race course. Well, the man responsible for saddling estimates for the Gold Cup of 2013 and indeed the Queen's Vars of 2012 was, was James Savage, now assistant to, to Sir Michael Stout, who's, who's with me now. James, how, how were you uh, saddling such an important runner on such an important day? It must have been a huge sense of responsibility. Yeah, it is, Nick. And like, like I've, I've been very lucky to be involved with some great racehorses and some great even better you know great race days and successful ones from america to hong kong to everywhere in the uk and that one was just a bit different um i got the tack from ryan which was let's just say very small he was doing 811 so we were using all the light gear and he was riding on what i'd call a postage stamp um and i was walking back and it was only when i got to the the pre-parade ring and she had entered and it was quite a big field but you know she had a lot of presence this this mare she was she was gorgeous and she she really walked and strutted around and she was catching the eye and the cameras were going in you know on her and there was people taking photos and i just thought this this one's different <laughs> so when we got her in the in the, the saddle and box obviously the, the cameras were on us as well and that's, that's normal for these big meetings but i just remember looking over at the boss and then thinking don't get this one wrong <laughs> And we had this tiny little saddle and she, she had like a high wither. So it was, we had to get it on properly and all in the right place to give Ryan, you know, so Ryan didn't have to get off at the start and do it again. And it just all went very smooth. But I just remember feeling um, a little more nervous than usual. And, um, but during the race, I was always very comfortable during the race. I always thought he had her in a brilliant position. And then turning in, I knew I knew she'd battle this filly and there was a couple of Willie Mullins old, you know, good horses in there she, she, she was going to have to battle but um, we were confident coming up the straight that she'd get there but I thought Ryan was just brilliant that day um, it was textbook really right place made the ch- challenge at the right time and he was really strong uh, it, but and then after the race Kerry the head girl was, was in tears so you know she puts a lot of work into that horse and the girl who looked after Kirsty they, they read the side of the horse and I just remember I took myself ten yards back from the horse, out of the out of the, the bubble as such. Walked down the track, and the adulation from the crowd was just amazing. I mean, I've I've been so lucky to see Franco come back in and enable, but this I thought this was just on another level. They they, they were just just overjoyed for the Queen, and it, it was like that all the way back into the to the winners' enclosure, even like. Race, other racing staff and trainers, you know, coming up and saying well done. It's it's it, a, a lot of horses winning big races is good for great for the team involved, and you hear things like that. But you get a few like the two I mentioned before, Frankels and Abels, and that, that are just great for racing and racing needs days like that, you know. So it's just so special um, walking back in and just 
just seeing it all from like a little further back, seeing the crowd, how sort of elated the Queen was, and she, she was just brimming. And her, uh, the way she talked to Ryan and the boss, it was just, it was, it was brilliant to watch. She, um, she really, you could tell she really enjoyed that one, you know? One of her most significant lasting legacies, of course, Lee, will be to, to her race course or the Crown's race course uh, to Ascot. I always, I always thought that that Ascot was where the, the public queen and the private queen did did completely converge, uh, and that's as you say that the week where where yes, it wasn't a state occasion; she was not obliged to attend every day, but the formality of it made it almost seem as though it were. And I was reflecting on the extent to which that then gave horse racing almost a, a status beyond beyond not not beyond what it deserved but you you get where i'm coming from i do and i think i think you're right i think royal ascot has felt like a state occasion i mean goodness we had that raw procession every day of of the royal meeting um the five days of royal ascot and derby day were the first six days marked off in the queen's calendar it was as near to a formal state occasion as one could get. And her interest and involvement in Ascot um, was enormous. It wasn't something that she wasn't a place she just turned up at uh, six days a year for the five days of Royal Ascot and British Champions Day. She was heavily involved in how Ascot was run when Ascot had its huge redevelopment uh, earlier this century. The Queen played a significant part in in the planning of that and in improving everything that was everything that was determined and decided. She was heavily involved in the decision to go from four days to five days and understood that the importance of the fifth day, although traditionalists balked at it, was that it would help to bring a younger, newer audience to the sport of horse racing. And even in terms of the minutiae of the racing experience, she was heavily involved um, in that. There's a story of how she was watching a race with another of her uh, representatives at Ascot, Sir Johnny Weatherby, and she felt that some of the hedges in the middle of the race course had grown too high and that people on the lower steppings of the grandstand might be having their viewing of the racing interrupted down at Swinley Bottom. Those hedges were very quickly trimmed to Her Majesty's delight. She was not just a casual onlooker. It was her race course. She took pride in that race course and she helped to make that race course a better place for the sport and for those who watch racing there. Inevitably, people will say, what now for the monarchy and, and horse racing and their links that go back generations? There is no doubt, Lee, that Queen Elizabeth II was the most enthusiastic supporter of racing that that there has been on the throne, exceeding the the ardor for the sport even exhibited by Charles II, the founding father of modern horse racing, Queen Anne, who who founded Royal Ascot, and and the Queen's more more immediate uh, predecessor, uh, King Edward the Seventh. Um, it, it's asking an awful lot, isn't it, of of King Charles or um, Prince William of Wales to 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 follow in Her Majesty's footsteps to, to that degree, but. Where does it leave, say, the, the breeding operation, the Royal Studs, do you think? I think they're all very good questions, Nick, and I'm sure that those answers 
have already been determined and decided, I would find it inconceivable that the Queen herself uh, did not organise what comes next. There have been, I think, pretty clear hints in terms of the growing involvement in the sport of the Queen Consort, Camilla, that she is set to take a much more prominent role now in terms of the the royal racing operation and that would be um, to the great benefit of the sport but clearly Nick you cannot replace the Queen not only can you not replace her as an individual you cannot replace her deep passion and love of the sport as I say it wasn't artificial and therefore whatever comes next and we all hope and I think we would expect the the royal racing operation to continue in part uh, out of respect for the queen but whatever comes after the queen cannot be the queen we can only hope that um, there still is a significant involvement from the royal family in the sport and significant success for the royal family in the sport because as we've seen over the Queen's marathon reign, it is enormously to the benefit of horse racing. And not just here, but as I say, across the world. I, I was very struck, Nick, by something that was said by Olivier Delois, the, the chief executive of uh, France Gallo. And he said simply in a tweet, for all racing lovers, she was our Queen too. We will miss Queen Elizabeth II. And that's the point. She, she was not just a figurehead for British horse racing. She was a figurehead for horse racing and she will be irreplaceable. Lee Mottishead, senior writer from the Racing Post. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, our guiding hand, our comforting arm, our quiet force, our reassuring presence. Never wavering from the unerring sense of duty, nor those words shortly after her coronation in 1953. I have in sincerity pledged myself to your service, as so many of you have pledged to mine. Throughout all my life and with all my heart, I shall strive to be worthy of your trust. Such a sober and humble devotion to that steadfastly kept pledge has demanded both a constancy and a consistency. It has called for a command of the self, a sense of restraint, of inscrutability. Great Britain, the Commonwealth, the world mourns the loss of its greatest public figure. And in this relatively tiny, microcosmic corner, where horses run and people have fun, we've glimpsed the soul and the private passion. It was here in horse racing we saw the broadest smiles and those rare unguarded moments and for that we should be forever thankful. Whether or not she was inspired at four years old by her first pony, Her Majesty has rarely been far from the horse. Not only deeply aware of the ceremonial and historical importance but truly an equestrian polymath. Irrespective of her standing, she was a genuine expert expert in fell and highland ponies, the rare breeds, the Clydesdales, the carriage horses, the show ring, three-day eventers, 
her daughter and granddaughter both competing for Great Britain. And, of course, when His Royal Highness the Duke of Edinburgh was playing all matters of the polo field. The idea that Her Majesty the Queen was knowledgeable about horses was no lazy device for those who knew no better. Far from it, it was the most accurate and well-supported assessment. Racing was not simply a hobby. Even the overused word passion may be selling it short. It was, to listen to those with closest access, a quest, a puzzle that could and would never be fully solved, but that wouldn't ever be put away. To breed champions tests the mind, it tests the resolve, and it tests the patience. There was never any danger of fallibility on those fronts. They say it is in our blood. It truly coursed through her veins. And the inheritance of the royal studs, combined with the unbending enthusiasm of Her Majesty's mother, Queen Elizabeth, was given a perfect seal by Oriole, the first horse the Queen inherited from her late father. A winner of seven top races, including the Coronation Cup and, appropriately enough, the freshly named King George and Queen Elizabeth stakes and rated 134 by timeform, it was nonetheless his most famous defeat that was more significant. His Derby second to the Gordon Richards-ridden Pinzer in coronation year fired the imagination of his owner. This race and the Gold Cup at Ascot would be, for her, the Holy Grail. And but for an interrupted preparation and an impeded run round Tattenham Corner, 2011 would have been a glorious triumph for Ryan Moore in the Royal Silks aboard the Sir Michael Stout-trained Carlton House. Racing felt the anguish of that narrow defeat but most certainly shared the owner's unshakable optimism and faith that it might yet happen one day. There were classic winners, however, and each seemed to bring with them a multi-layered significance. Dunfermline won the Oaks in 1977 and lent an added gaiety in Joie de Vivre to Jubilee Year, the bunting hoist with just that bit more fervour. For good measure, she went on to beat the Colts in the St Ledger, this judiciously timed victory the only time a defeat would be inflicted on the dual arc winner alleged. It was a me feuille in the case of the 1974 Prida Diane heroine Highclere, for whom Her Majesty believed quite fervently that the ten furlong distance at Chantilly was more suitable than the mile and a half on Epsom Downs. Vive la Reine cheered the packed, elegant grandstand. But it was for others, notably Sheikh Hamdan al-Maktoum, that Highclere's influence was felt so keenly through the descendants of her own daughter, Height of Fashion, amongst them Nashwan, and, appropriately enough, this year, Baid. Her Majesty had still produced a genuine blue hen, a feat worthy of any breeder of any generation, and took almost as much satisfaction from the family of Phantom Gold, who ended a rather lean time on the race course for the Royal Runners when winning the Ribblesdale Stakes under Frankie de Tory at Royal Ascot in 1992. Among her offspring was Flight of Fancy, who came close to emulating Dunfermline's heroics in the Oaks of Millennium Year, and whose name may have accurately reflected the enjoyment Her Majesty derived from racing, but belied the intensity and seriousness with which she applied herself to its study. And while she strived to breed the perfect racecourse, it was a gift that was to provide the most memorable moment. 
when His Highness the Aga Khan gave Her Majesty the Philly estimate, he enabled not only the opportunity for her to enjoy the richest satisfaction by fulfilling that long-held Gold Cup ambition, but he enabled also the opportunity for us, for the world, to see up close just the extent to which the sport of kings had left an indelible impression on this queen. But while the love of racing was essentially private and held close and a counterpoint to the public face of duty, in Royal Ascot particularly, those twin motivating forces combined in such a visceral, such a powerful way, so much so that most every visiting leader and dignitary sought that special place close to something that was so close to the crown. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II gave the country and racing more than it can ever repay. God save the King.